You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Up Your Brave show with Natalie Cutler-Welsh here on Reality Check Radio. I'm excited to go across the world right now. I'm talking to Dan Monroe. He is best-selling author and confidence coach, and um, he specializes in helping people like you, to become more socially confident and authentic. Yay. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. There's so many topics that I want to dive into with you. Uh, But before I do, for those of you that don't know Dan, Dan Monroe is a confidence and integrity coach based in Europe, but originally from New Zealand. He specializes in helping people recover from, I love this, nice guy syndrome by building their confidence through bold honesty and advanced communication skills. This is so exciting. Um, hey, before we get into all of those things, I know that you're in the Czech Republic, and I know that you said to me you come to New Zealand for every summer, which is really cool. How is the vibe over there, and what differences are you noticing? Yeah, you know, I was expecting it to be very similar, just kind of like white person culture or something, uh, but it's quite different. Very uh, traditional over here. Um, they still, you know, the ramifications of World War II still have an effect here, you know, the sort of old school communism vibe that's slowly been deteriorated and so on. So culturally, it's actually been quite a shock for me. Mm. And plus the language barrier, a lot, a lot less people speak English than I expected. And it's funny, you know, I did so much work on myself over the last couple of decades I don't know, maybe to be more confrontational and things like that. And then I come here and I can't even speak the language and I can't apply it. So I have to sort of relearn all over again or learn how to interact and stand up for myself and all that stuff without actually understanding what anyone's saying. That's been quite challenging. But the uh, the vibe, I think the best way I can put it would be as if you took, say, 80s New Zealand, you know, where you leave your car unlocked and pretty mm-hmm. much everyone's a tradie for some reason. And you combine that with like hardcore Catholicism. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's hard to imagine maybe what that looks like. But, you know, there's there's a lot of mullets and a lot of crosses. Um, everybody's very traditional. Family is first. That's the top of the hierarchy. That's the biggest difference, I think, with New Zealand. Yeah. I'm not even really sure what the top of the hierarchy is in New Zealand, but I think it's kind of personal ambition and career. But over here, people... Uh, mostly interested in who's in their close circle what's happening with everybody there's so many traditions and events where family get together it's very kid friendly like making sure kids have lots to do on the weekend that's social with the community that's prioritized um so i like that vibe because i'm a new father so coming to a place where i know my daughter's going to be seen as a priority by mm. the entire community that's cool and that's quite different, I think, from New Zealand. I didn't get that vibe in New Zealand as much. It's more sort of like, yeah, the job's the top priority. Um, and it has its ups and downs. It's kind of, it's there's a lot of counter kind of play where the thing that I didn't like about New Zealand is awesome here. And then the thing I don't like here is awesome in New Zealand. Scenery, for example, is better in New Zealand, I think. Um, so it's... I think it's good for me to come here and, and mix things up a bit. I've had a whole life in New Zealand and now I've come to have a whole life in a basically an opposite country. 
Yeah. And you're having an amazing impact. I mean, helping people all over the world. I know you've also got a podcast, which is called the Brojo podcast. Um, but I want to kick off with my first question around something that I saw you do a video on and you talk about um, reputation, but you're actually talking about inner reputation. Can you elaborate on that? <clears throat> sure. Uh, it's actually my clients, one of my coaching clients came up with that term. I'd never thought of it like that before. So reputation is something that everybody cares about to some extent, probably almost everybody, but somebody who's a people pleaser or a nice guy, somebody with social confidence issues, it's one of their number one concerns. Basically reputation is a word to describe how does everybody see me? And a nice guy essentially constantly plays a role to ensure that that reputation is what he wants it to be, whether that's real or not is of no concern to him. He wants it to be the best possible thing he can think of. And so I'd call that, say, your outer reputation, what other people think you are. And if you focus on that and you try to make that as shining and, and pleasant as possible and as likable as possible, the cost is the inner reputation. What you think of yourself gets sacrificed because you get to have one or the other, basically. You can either make everybody like you or you can like yourself, but you can't have both at the same time. You can't achieve both of those goals simultaneously. So inner reputation is the kind of sense and, and thoughts and everything you get when you're lying in bed and you can't sleep and you've been reviewing your behavior over the last few days, weeks, maybe even years, and whether or not you're proud of what you're seeing, whether or not you like the person that you are, outside of the results you get from other people. You know, and when, when we talk about inner reputation, what we're really talking about is how well your behavior aligns with what you really believe are your core values. Underneath all the crap that you've been taught or conditioned mm -hmm. or programmed into thinking is the right way to be, what you always knew since you were a little baby what the right thing is. You know, your own moral code, your own principles, and how hypocritical you are, how close to that you are. The further away, I call that the authenticity gap. So the further that your actual behavior in real life is from your core set of principles, the bigger you feel this gap. You feel this distance between you and you. And that's the gap that makes you lie awake at night wishing you had said this and wishing you had done that. And inner reputation is when that's solid. So if you have been constantly impressing yourself with how principled your behavior is, with your own integrity, regardless of how other people react or the results you get, you might even lose your job from living with integrity. But you lose your job and you come home and you lie in bed at night and you go, that was the right thing to say. I stand by it. And that's a solid inner reputation where you like you, where you would respect you if it was another person, you would admire that person. And so the whole concept of my work is about building that inner reputation. It's about even if other people don't like you and other people think you're stupid or they don't respect you or whatever, you're able to metaphorically look in the mirror and go right on. That's exactly the person. It's the kind of person I hope my daughter brings home one day. You know, it's, it's the kind of person that if they were my friend, I'd count myself lucky to have them mm. as a friend. The kind of person I wish was my dad, right? That kind of thinking. Um, I think that's probably the best way to sum it up. Yeah. And I think in the last three years, more than ever, a lot of people have been challenged in that department, you know, really thinking like, oh, 
really hyper-conscious of the virtue signaling thing, you know, making a decision, even though they didn't feel right, or they felt pressured and things like that. I mean, I made mention, I think just a few weeks back of some bullying that I received recently, like once again, um, from my local, local moms. And, you know, I said once again to myself, you know, I'm not here to be everyone's best friend. And meaning like, you know, of course I want people to like me, but I am, it's more important to me that I stand by my values and I stand up and I certainly am one to jump in the ring if someone else is getting um, bullied or, or pushed back. So yeah, I think if we can as much as possible be proud of the way we behave. And I love that phrase about the authenticity gap that you mentioned. That's so good. Um, yeah. And I guess people do struggle with that a lot. And part of that leads to confidence because confidence is one of those buzzwords that a lot of people are like, oh, you're so confident, or I wish I was more confident. Is there a connection between this inner reputation and overall confidence? Oh, absolutely. Uh, a lot of times when somebody says something like, you're so confident, what they mean is I've got the impression that you're confident. <clears throat> and so often that's not actually the case because what we often call confidence what we see as confidence is usually someone putting on a show to give you that impression which means that they're not confident because a confident person doesn't put on a show they've got no one to impress mm -hmm. so true confidence inner confidence where you like you you would never want to switch places with anyone else in the world this is the train that you want to ride on you like the way this is going and you're invested in it and you would sacrifice the approval of the mums group to keep being this person. That's how invested you are. You'd rather be alone and righteous than well-loved but fake, right? That kind of confidence is absolutely linked to integrity because you earn confidence. You impress yourself. That's, you know, somebody actually challenged me once, like, what's the least amount of words you can use to describe, like, the recipe for being confident? And I just said two words, impress yourself, mm. right? The more often you do that, the more confident you'll be. Impressing yourself is not about results because results are about impressing other people, being rich, getting the promotion, getting the hot partner, whatever it is, being the cool mum. you know, that, that's impressing other people. And quite often that costs you personally. You have to compromise something about yourself to make that happen. The good news is, of course, if you impress yourself, you will also impress the right people for you and it will be effortless. You're just doing your thing and they'll also like that and you won't have to add anything to that. So, you know, I was, when I met my wife, I was going through this hardcore phase of like, I'm going to push everyone away with honesty. I'm going to see who can handle it, who's left standing, <laughs> and I'll saying what I have to say and doesn't hate me. Uh, and she was one of the first people where I was applying that and everything I said made her like me more. I'm trying to push her away, essentially. I'm trying to show her like all the worst stuff about myself, all the horrible darkness, my secret inner world that nobody shows anyone. I was just like putting it right out there, right from the start. She just loved every second of it. I'm like, oh, this is easy. I can get away with murder here. Like I don't ever have to think about what I'm going to have to say in front of her because she just likes it all by default anyway. So I'm off the hook confidence one way to look at confidence is your ability to trust yourself that you will handle what's going to happen so there's a kind of practicability to confidence like i'm going to be able to get through life as it occurs and 
anxiety is usually kind of the opposite of that. Anxiety is I'm worried that I won't be able to. Right? We don't have anxiety about things we know we can handle. We only have anxiety about things we think we can't handle. Integrity gives you a kind of cheat code for handling things, which is you don't need to be skilled, you don't need to be competent, because doing well is not the goal. Living with integrity is the goal, and you can always do that. So I can look at a situation coming up, say a very unfamiliar situation that I don't have experience in, I'm not well rehearsed in, I'm not skilled or talented. But if I know whatever happens, I'm going to be really honest and brave, and I've proven that to myself for 10 years of being honest and brave, then there's nothing to worry about. I can suck at this thing. I can look like a total idiot and have everyone go online and send me hate mail like they sometimes do or whatever. All that can happen. But I trust that I will be brave. I trust that I will be honest. I'm trusting that whatever happens, I'll have the resilience to crawl my way through it, if nothing else. Right? And that's earned. You can't just tell you. You can't do positive affirmation crap. Look in the mirror like, I'm a good person. And your brain's like, no, you're not. <laughs> look at you yesterday. That wasn't very good, was it? You can't do that. You have to prove it. You have to earn it. And it's usually through uncomfortable things and most commonly it's uncomfortable social experiences. Saying the thing that's awkward in the group, confronting your boss and possibly risking your job, you know, telling something to your partner that might make them want to leave you. Uh, it's often confrontational or it's just you think it's going to be and it's of course not going to be, but you have shame about something, you know, revealing some dark secret that you think is horrible. Other people are like, oh, everybody does that. They know what your problem is. You know, whatever it is, it's this very uncomfortable emotional situation that you have to go through to earn your confidence. You have to pay it up front. You know, the kind of simplistic idea of if I want to feel good later, I have to feel bad now. I have to pay for this. Most people live the exact opposite of that. They're like, what's the easiest, nicest feeling I can achieve right now? What's the most comfort I can possibly cause myself in this very moment? And in doing so, they, they have to pay for that later. I mean, that was my the first half of my life was always like, what's the easy way out? What's the simplest way to achieve a goal and feel good and have people like me? And the cost of that was just tremendous. I mean, it cost me my entire sense of self. It cost me... In all sorts of ways, you know, I, I couldn't sleep. I had no one around me who was actually a close connection. Uh, my job was just for show and I didn't like it. I mean, there's a whole life that sucks. I'd love to know from our, from our listeners that are hearing this, and we've covered a lot of very cool topics so far. You know, what is resonating for you? And do you feel like you are being a, a nice guy in your life? Or do you feel like you have that courage to to be the true version of you and, and kind of like Dan's done, like push other people away from your honesty. We would love to hear from you. You can send a text 2057 or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Cause yeah, I was going to ask you, Dan, like, so what was your journey to this point? Like, were you Mr. Nice guy? And when I hear that phrase, I think like, you know, the guy that all the girls are like, Oh, you're such a great guy. But I don't know. Is that what, what do you mean? Like, was that your path? You were Mr. Nice guy, but you weren't living true to yourself and you weren't happy and fulfilled. Exactly. You know, the, one of the reasons I specialize in nice guy syndrome is it's because it's like a ex alcoholic working in a rehab, like a been there right to the very core of it. And I know it. And like drug addiction, nice guy recovery is an ongoing process. You 
this is it comes from childhood trauma so this stuff's so deep you can't even actually do much about it in some cases uh, and you just have to learn how to manage it nice guy recovery is about like i have urges to people please every day but i have a different reaction to those urges now so where i get the urge to lie i now tell the truth and when i get the urge to avoid i now go in mm. and that's essentially what nice guy recovery is but up until about my mid-20s I was the poster boy for nice guy syndrome. Now, nice guys aren't actually a single type of guy. There's a whole spectrum. I've even identified different types. So from the introvert who hides in the background, so they never get in trouble, what I call the wallflower type, through to the type like me, the performer who use an extrovert who impresses people actively to get likes, you know, the, the kind of person who puts on a show. I mean, I literally would be in a band to go on stage to put on a show. Like, <laughs> And the driver was to get as much approval at once as possible, right? Um, but somewhere in my mid-20s, and this is what usually happens for nice guys, is nice guy syndrome is there because it worked at some point. Usually when you're a child, it worked really well. So if you've got, say, a chaotic home environment, you got, like in my case, I had very strict parents, or you might uh, have bullies at school or, or something like that. And you start people pleasing and it works. You're like, oh, this is getting people off my back. This reduces the amount of pain I'm experiencing. You're a child. You can't go, oh, I wonder if this is going to cost me when I'm an adult. You know, maybe I should have it. Children don't think about like stuff like that. They're just like, how do I get out of this hell? And then you keep applying it in high school. And that doesn't work so well, but you survive the nightmare of high school. You know, the Lord of the Flies situation. It gets you. I actually that. loved high school, but that's okay. <laughs> Well, then maybe you weren't a nice guy. No, I definitely um, wasn't a nice guy. Well, there you go. Nice guys did not enjoy high school for the most part, but they would have had a lot of validation perhaps if they were the performer type like me. A lot of people saying, you're a good person. I like you. I had, How many times I've had girls saying, like, you're the nicest guy or that horrible phase, I wish I could find a guy like you. Like, not you, but a guy like you, you know. <laughs> you're and, like, I'm standing right here in front of you. Oh, I don't know. I Maybe in the thousands of times oh. I've had that exact thought. Um, and because you're getting all this validation, like I was particularly funny, so I got lots of laughs. And, maybe, and also I was academically gifted, so I get lots of A's and, wow, you're so smart, and I wish I was as smart as you. So I get all this validation that said, like, I must be on the right track. Yeah, I mean, accolades and admiration. Well, if I get the certificate, I must have done well, right? But the case closed. And then you go out into the real world as an adult and it now it only sort of works. So I did particularly well in my career, for example, by just being the hardest worker and the most conscientious person and figuring out new things. But my social life tanked and it tanked quickly. Um, and this is hard, especially for a, a red blooded male like myself, you know, I had nothing from women for most of my early twenties. And nothing to the point where it was the thing I was known for. You know, this guy just can't seem to get anywhere with girls, right? And that's where I started to realize, like, something's not right because there's not something, like, obvious about me that would repulse women. I, I should attract a few occasionally, sure, but none at all. And it took four years of, of suffering from that particular problem more than anything else for me to go, there's something wrong with me. But not in like a oh, poor me way, more like I'm doing something wrong. I'm, I'm, the way I'm living doesn't work. 
And I was lucky in the sense that the crisis escalated early for me. So I'm like 24 and already going, I can't do this anymore enough. I'll change anything. Mm. Unfortunately, most of the people I work for, uh, work with the clients, you know, it's a divorce that does it, or it's 20 years at a crap job where they're just unsatisfied and have no meaning in their life. You know, and they miss out a lot before they take action on this thing because it didn't hurt enough. Their their strategy worked well enough that they felt comfortable, but they didn't realize how much it would cost them. But I had literally that kind of epiphany moment, waking up sweating in the middle of the night, like I don't even know who I am. I don't know what I stand for. I don't know what the point of my life is. I don't like it. The hell is this? What am I doing? You know? And that led me to start going, I've got to look at doing something differently. I've got to look at breaking the rules that I follow in some way. I've got to look at letting go of whatever I think is the right thing to do and try something else because what I think is the right thing to do clearly just doesn't work in the real world. It's it's the investment doesn't have a return on it. I guess even then I knew deep down I was fake. I mean, I was living this nice guy thing, this role, this funny, high achieving, helpful, cool guy that I was being. I was very aware that that was a creation, you know, that in the morning I had to kind of go, all right, crank it up and turn on the Dan Munro show. And I get home and if there's no one home, I just be like, oh, I get to turn it off now, you know. Wow. Exhausting, it sounds. Oh, that's one of the, you know, nice guys vary a lot, but one of the few things they have in common is they're exhausted because you're a method actor. You are constantly in a role. All the time, every time you see another person, the anxiety comes. Oh, here we go again. I've got to do this thing. Uh, and so if you're working in a group environment and then you socialize after, you know, work and whatever, you, you never get a break. You never <laughs> get to just be you unless you've got like a, maybe one good friend. And I was lucky. I had a, maybe a couple of friends I could take the mask off with. Uh, some nice guys have that. They might have, I don't know, a brother or a family member that they feel safe with or even a partner sometimes, but rarely. Uh, but some nice guys don't, and they're always on. They don't have a close connection with anyone. There's a deep loneliness in being a nice guy. Uh, one of the phrases I used to use with myself is I feel like an alien hiding amongst the humans, and so many nice guys say something like that. Like there's an invisible wall between them and everyone else, and they just kind of observe them like another species and try to figure out how to interact with a species. A lot of nice guys are also neurodivergent as well, so that adds to that kind of difficulty to connect. And they think fitting in is the way you connect, which is like the Dexter way to connect, you know, <laughs> pretend you're not what you are. Um, and, yeah, it wasn't until I was about 25 where I was like, it just hurt enough for me to be willing to try anything. And I actually tried things that were even worse, but it broke me out of the rule following that I was doing. And eventually... Kind of long story short, I found honesty and I didn't realize how dishonest I'd been my whole life because if you're a nice guy, you tell yourself you're a good person, which means by default, you must be an honest person. Uh, but there is no honest, nice guy on this planet. So I started being more honest and that was thrilling and it was interesting and it was new. And mm -hmm. at least it gave me this hope, like I haven't tried this one yet. So at least, you know, I've tried all the other things. None of them worked. And uh, the amazing journey with honesty was that honesty in itself was so enjoyable. I was so impressed by myself for doing confrontations or expressing attraction or taking these risks that I'd never taken before, getting my heart pounding and, you know, going towards the nervousness instead of running away. And 
that not only did I get better reactions from other people, like they were respecting me more, people would love me instead of liking me. And they'd hate me too, but it would be like, oh, I can't believe I can actually handle that. I always thought that would be terrible. Uh, but mostly it was just this growing sense that I was impressed with myself, you know, going home after a social event, being like, I crushed that. And even if no one liked me, feeling like that, you know. And the difference uh, it feels like is that it feels good instead of it feeling exhausting and feeling hard. Like, so for the guys that are listening, for the nice guys that are listening, or the woman listening that knows some nice guys, like how can they take that first step? Because obviously for you, you said it happened pretty early. For some other guys, it will come to some sort of critical point. Um, you know, the breakdown before the breakthrough, as we call it, um, like a, a marriage or a you know a job that's just horrible. Um, but what can? How can they take the first step? Do you really think is honesty the path for everyone? Well, each of my clients has a different thing that they need to like put. F- front of center as the main thing to focus on you know for guys like me it was honesty but it's not always honesty um quite often it's also bravery so nice guy syndrome is essentially a form of cowardice it's an avoidance of uncomfortable emotion i mean best way to sum up nice guy syndrome it is a strategy to control emotions and to keep them in this narrow band that's pleasant to be in both yourself and others and it's about getting out of that band and it almost doesn't matter how you do that but for nice guy syndrome, it's probably best to do it in social context, do it with other people. So saying things that you wouldn't usually say or doing things that people will judge you for that you've always wanted to do. You know, I joined a dancing class, for example, knowing what all my West Auckland <laughs> friends would say about me in doing so. But these little steps out, because if you've been a nice guy for a long time, you don't even know who you are. You've been mm. playing the role so long that you've become the role. You know it's not you, but you don't even know what the original actually was. It's never had a chance to breathe and express itself. But if you start being more honest, it comes out. It emerges. You start noticing what you prefer and don't prefer, what you stand for and against. And you're like, oh, that, all that information's in there. It's just been suppressed. It's really exciting to see it come out and see what you believe in. But... I think uh, probably the best first step for anybody, especially if this is brand new information for them, is the book No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover. He's the guy who coined the term. This is an unofficial psychological disorder, but it absolutely is real. Uh, and that book, if you read that book and go, wow, that's definitely me, then it applies to you and it's time to start this journey. Uh, some people think of themselves as nice guys but they're actually just narcissistic and they like to call themselves that and their behavior is anything but nice and they're generally not well liked by people that's a different thing that's a delusion but real nice guys are thought of as nice by other people and it's just because they've been conned into thinking that but you start with the book perhaps and then some form of combining honesty with bravery saying things you wouldn't usually say standing up for yourself expressing interest in people or how you feel about people directly to their face Mm -hmm. saying no to things you don't want saying yes to things you do want pushing back you know in any small way you don't have to start with terrifying things that risk your career you can start with little things where you're like i know this person would actually be fine with it i just never do it Right, I'm just in a pattern of not doing it. So maybe you've got a partner who would be fine with you having a bit more of a spine, you know, or, or you've got a best friend who would totally accept hearing about your traumatic childhood that you usually keep to yourself or whatever. You look for these little chances to practice in a mm-hmm. safe environment. Practice saying things you don't normally say. 
being who you actually are in an environment you're pretty sure it's going to go all right and then once you get some practice once you learn putting the stuff into words a bit and and you're a bit more familiar with it then you start upping the ante and doing it in situations where i probably might get judged here or this might get a bit of a confrontational reaction or so on and then you eventually build up to what me and my clients often call the horizon which is there's some probably some big confrontation you need to have and once you've had that one nothing scares you anymore now for me it was expressing attraction directly to a woman as soon as i meet her because then like all my cards are on the table and i'd never done that with a woman before i was actually going to ask you <laughs> how soon after you changed your mode of living you know you you embraced the honesty thing and then did you notice women changing the way they responded to you when you oh, embraced this honesty thing night and day mm -hmm. uh, that's the one thing i've learned about sort of women i don't like to generalize women as if they're all going to respond exactly the same to everything but one thing that somebody told me when i was 14 i had this friend when i was 14 who even when we we're 14 women just loved him and you look at him and go, I don't know why. He didn't seem particularly interesting. He wasn't a high achiever. He wasn't particularly handsome. He's a sort of a bit of a chubby, kind of funny guy. And women just, they'll line up, literally line up to be with him. I'd seen it. And he was my best friend, but he was the opposite of me when it came to girls. You know, I was just like, I don't even know how to talk to them. I can't look them in the eye. And he said something back to me. He's like, oh, I just say whatever you think. And it didn't click with me back then because I'm a 14 year old and no 14 year old says whatever they think, except this dude. And because he had been raised by women, had sisters and stuff, he had learned something that other guys don't learn. And that is honesty is all you need. Honesty is the most attractive thing. It carries everything else with it. Anything else that a girl might be attracted to <clears throat> will come with honesty. Now, it doesn't mean all women will be attracted to you. So nice guys try to make everyone like them. That's their mistake. Because that means nobody can love you. They can only like you because you're bland and generic. <clears throat> but when you're you and that's just shameless, you just push that out and, and people can see like, man, this guy doesn't care what reaction he's going to get. Like, my God, has he no shame? There's a niche of women in this world that will think you are amazing just for being like that. That will blow them away. They can't get enough of it. And then all the other women will have a different opinion of you. And you have to be, he was willing to take that risk. I didn't see how often he got rejected because he wouldn't even call it a rejection. He wasn't trying to get anything, but he was disliked by people as well, which I would never have allowed to happen. And so, you know, 15 years later or something, 18 years later, I stumbled across the same thing by a long, strenuous process of <laughs> gradually incrementing more honesty in my life. And I just... You know, I just started to notice for the first time women were an effortless experience for me. I just say whatever I think, and a, a woman who liked me would just sort of appear in front of me like I hadn't even done anything. It's almost like I felt like they were doing the work, if anything, which was just the opposite experience. But when you're just saying how you really feel, like even just expressing attraction gets you like a five out of the ten points you might need to for a woman to like you because she's just like, wow. A guy who I finally know what he's thinking and I don't have to guess. Like, he's already one in a million. So even if I don't like him, I'm impressed by that. And I respect that. I remember this one time I went up to a girl on the street. <clears throat> and I was, you know, I was always doing it respectfully. I just said, look, I saw you. I think you're gorgeous. 
I'd say hi and at least that way I know I tried, you know. And she she had a boyfriend and she wasn't particularly interested in me, but she was just blown away that I actually had the balls to go and do that. She'd never seen that before in her life. And we ended up talking for like 10 minutes. Um, and she actually thought it was a scam at, at the start because no guy ever does this. This must be some YouTube prank or something. And I remember this because I, I put her hand on my chest and she could feel a heart out my heart was beating. I'm like, no, I'm nervous saying this. Like, this isn't some crap. Like, I might look confident, but this is a big push for me. And that just blew her mind. And I think that was the bit that actually blew her mind where I was willing to reveal how nervous I was in this kind of undeniable mm. way. Like, my body can't lie. I just don't think she'd ever had a guy be that transparent with her, but without apology, without kind of like trying to soften the blow or sugarcoat it. I got to jump in because, I mean, I haven't been in the dating scene for 20 whatever years, but I think it's what I'm loving about everything you're saying is you're basically saying to people, you know, giving them the permission or the freedom or to, to be who they actually are, to not try to filter their thoughts and say the quote unquote right thing or not, you know, and not trying to make everyone like them, just being themselves, having the, the courage to do that. And then with the woman thing, it's not trying out lines or like a script or like a five steps to get your girl. It's nothing like that. It's literally just saying what's on your mind instead of saying, dumbing it down or making it sound cooler. You're just like, literally like feel my heartbeat right now. And she's like, oh my God, that's what I'm loving is that it's basically telling people just be authentic and then you will, when you express who you are, then life will be better, easier, more fun. And it is that simple on paper. In real life, what this means is you're going to be emotionally uncomfortable way more than you want to be. Mm. That's what it, that's Which is what front. they've been avoiding the whole time. Ironically, and feeling emotionally uncomfortable because they've been avoiding it. I mean, but it's only been a nice a guy for a course. while. <laughs> most of the time being miserable anyway. It's just a different type of misery. And this one at least gets results. But the just be yourself is often somebody think of only their weaknesses being shown and in some apologetic, pathetic way. But what we're talking about is, you know, the best advice I ever got with women probably, and again, it didn't click for 10 years, uh, was a guy said, uh, treat her like she's already your girlfriend. Like she's your girlfriend of 10 years. And what he's really saying is don't be any different to how <laughs> you'd be with someone you're completely comfortable with and nothing to lose, nothing to like prove. And, I applied it, you know, I'd be on a date and it's a first date instead of that nervous jittery energy where you go, oh, so what do you do for a job? I mean, I wouldn't ask my girlfriend in 10 years what she does for a job. <laughs> right. So don't ask that question. I'd just say, you know, how's your day been? As if I, you know, just seeing my girlfriend again after another day and I tell her about my day, you know, and <laughs> this, is, this is a weird one, but I remember I went on a first date and I needed to fart. So I was like, all right, let's see what happens. And I just farted right on the first date. It actually impressed her that I did that. And she relaxed so much after I did that. And I was just like, oh, my God, I can really get away with murder. Like, I can do anything. Now, I'm not trying to give the impression that heaps of girls had crushes on me or something because I was like this. But the few who liked me really liked me. And I didn't have to do anything. It was, it was just effortless with those women. Did you have more energy too? Because remember, we talked about how exhausting it was to wear that mask. I'd say that might be the best part. 
is it's like taking off a backpack full of bricks that you've been carrying your whole life and you didn't realize how heavy it was. Like I had anxiety my whole life without knowing I had anxiety because it was constant. Mm. And then after practicing honesty for a few months, uh, really intensely, I was driving one day. I'm like, something's different. And I just, I was like, I feel different. What was that? And I realized there was an absence of anxiety I was feeling. There was no buzzing in my stomach. That's all it was. It was just a light kind of, uh, like the feeling after you've just been for the toilet, you know, and you're just empty. It's just ah, it was just like I'm like, wow, I don't remember the last time I felt like this, and I just my anxiety had slowly disappeared, and I hadn't been watching it. I didn't notice, and just the loss of that feeling, to just be like, well, to move into like a party full of people I don't know and feel as comfortable as I do sitting on the couch watching TV. I was like, oh, this is sweet. This mm. is. The whole world's open to me now. I don't have to worry about anything. Uh, that alone for me sells it. Like I, that's enough of a reward where you get nothing else but that. It's worth it. It's worth the effort. At the well, I'm excited for some of our listeners to not so much try this, but just yeah, embrace it in their life. The go the honesty pathway and see what results follow. You guys can um, go and follow Dan as well on his socials, which I'll ask him about in a minute. So that, and also I want to hear about your coaching. So I'll ask you in a minute about that, but let's go to the up your brave question. What is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? Well, fatherhood does it every day, but uh, we just got back from a trip to Mexico. And so taking it, well, Mexico in the States, but taking a two and a half year old through the rougher parts of Mexico, that was a big push for me. I uh, actually having a kid kind of, it wasn't a back step exactly, but more, a new type of anxiety came up for me uh, that I'd never had before where somebody else's protection became a very, very big deal. And it wasn't about impressing people. And so taking her to a country, you know, she's naive to risk. I have to manage it all for her. Yeah. That was a big push for me. Um, and it was also a push for me in terms of, a kind of self-sacrificing that I'd started doing as a parent where I was like, there's a bit too much suffering on my end to keep her happy. And that's, you know, that's an old path I've been down before. I don't want to do that again. So going on a trip, which was nice for me and enjoyable for me, that was actually quite a big push for me to let that happen and allow myself to enjoy it and not just make it all about my daughter the whole time. Um, so that was a big push for me, actually. That was probably the biggest one I've had in uh, quite a long time because I've actually been struggling to find new things to be brave about after going so intense for a few years. Yeah. Well, you know, taking care of somebody else, a little one, it's huge. It changes things. Um, what about the bucket list? So what is one thing on your bucket list, something you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you to do? Well, I don't know how much help I need, frankly. <laughs> Um, and it's funny because a lot of my bucket list stuff is ticked off. Uh, I just want to do more traveling and my, my business is what will help me travel. So, um, what is one country you'd love to go to? Brazil comes up, uh, and actually all of South America is as yet untouched for me. So I'm really keen to check out Brazil, uh, take the family there without dying. That would be nice. That'd be good. Yeah. Well, any advice from our listeners, if you've been to Brazil or South America, you might have some do's and don'ts to share. Um, all right. What's coming up for you in the next six months with, with business or life and how can people reach out and connect with you online? Cool. Yeah. Well, I've just 
recently done a bit of a shift in my business and the main thing for people who are interested in my stuff is I do a daily short newsletter, a daily dose of integrity. Um, and if people are interested in that, they can come and check that out. Uh, it's everywhere I'm posted, my YouTube, my Facebook podcast, everything, it all leads back to this newsletter. I'm happy to send the link to anyone. And I do these nice little short clips with little practical tips. And that's because I really want to focus on building out my courses. I've got a library of courses that I've been creating. Brojo University, we call it. Nice. And I've only made like six of them in 10 years, and I want to actually start really pumping them out now because a lot of people find them super helpful, especially someone who's not quite ready for coaching yet. They want to do some stuff on their own. The courses give them a lot of practical guidance. So people want to check out the courses. That's the best way to find out if I'm the right person to help you probably. Okay. So would they go to theinspirationallifestyle.com for that? Yep. They can go there. That's my main website. And from there, you can find my blog posts, which will take you to my newsletter and under products. I think there's a products page, which has my courses on it. Awesome. Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that because you know, I'm a business coach as well, but I, what I love is the impact it can have. And I'm excited about the impact you're going to have, not just for men, nice guys, but for the wives and the girlfriends and the kids, because the, the ripple effect of a man going from basically wearing a mask and being exhausted and scared of being who he actually is to a transformation and a freedom of him becoming who he is, it's just going to affect so many people. That's what I believe, you know, when I look at like, what's the best thing I can do for the world, this is the touch point where the biggest ripple out effect and, and my favorite kind of client usually is a father, actually, because if the kids are young enough, we can still turn this ship around, you know, he's been role modeling some weakness to those kids that they're going to have to recover from, or they can watch him change and that can inspire them, you know, especially if you can get you know, kids who are going into high school and that's when they're going to be their most fake, mm. right? If they have a role model at home, it says you don't have to do that, but it says it with behavior, not with words. Yeah. And but actually shows how it can be done and shows someone who's willing to pay the price and can handle the, you know, the cost of being disliked occasionally and so on. You know, uh, kids are still very malleable. Most of my clients report having a nice guy parent or a nice girl parent, one or the other that mm. they modeled. Uh, and so we're talking about breaking a chain, which of I'd call it abuse. You know, if wow. you raise a child to be a people pleaser, you're causing as much damage as somebody who beats a child, for sure. You know, people pleasers have horrible long-term suffering from behaving that way. And people pleasing is usually something they had to do to keep the parents in line. So if you're a parent that your kid doesn't have to do that with you, if it's safe to be honest with you, if it's applauded, if standing up for yourself and doing what's right for you is prioritized over what's convenient for the parents and so on, uh, that kid's going to do very well as an adult, but they won't be a totally convenient kid to raise, right? So they're going to have a backbone and they're going to say no to you and you need to be able to say, good, I'm glad you did that. Yeah. Even if it's super annoying, right? So, but generally, in my opinion, the best way to parent is to just role model, show them what it means to be a strong, confident person. The, the kids will do the rest with that information. You don't need to tell them anything. They'll watch, you know. 
It's so interesting because in my world, and I work mainly with women, you know, we talk a lot about people pleasing, very common with women. We talk a little bit about generosity burnout, but I've never really discussed it from the man's perspective, which is why I'm so thrilled I got to talk to you today. Um, before we wrap it up, is there anything else you want to share with our audience? Just take it seriously. If this stuff applies to you, if what you're hearing, and this nice guy syndrome is just a term, women, people, please, everybody does it. If you think, oh, but I get nice-ish results and I get through the day and nobody hates me, then you're just not at the end of where this goes yet. But you will be. I deal with the divorces. I deal with the people whose kids won't call them. I deal with the people who want to commit suicide in their 50s because their life's been a waste of time. This is where that goes. This is mm. a small thing that just gets you by. There's a huge cost to this. And you need to... Yeah, you need to take it seriously before you get to the point where you're forced to because it's really hard to change when you're you're older and you've been doing this for decades and you feel forced to. But if you choose to, if you're like, you know what, I'm going to nip this in the bud now, it's much easier to deal with. Basically, my greatest tragedy as a coach is people coming to me too late. You know, you mentioned the partners of Nice Guys. That's usually who I hear from first. Yeah wife going i can't take it anymore do something with him and he's like all resistant he's like i'm fine and then they've already come to me too late the divorce happens the breakup happens and then the guy goes oh shit maybe it was me you know i'm like well if you talked to me five years ago you might have saved this marriage but it's too late so let's let's save the next one you know and that's kind of most of my work which is a bit tragic well, this, you know, this um, show this week, we're talking about empowering men. And I think that that's what it's about. It is about not just the wife going, hey, hey, honey, this is a good course for you to do, but about the men going, actually, you know what? I'm I'm going to do it because what you're selling, you know, what you're the, the freedom, the energy that, that, you know, guys will get from do dropping the whole Mr. Nice Guy thing. I mean, they can still be awesome and they can still be super nice and loving and all the things but they're just the more genuine version of themselves. And when you're honest with someone, they know where they stand instead of just guessing and walking on eggshells or whatever. So I'm excited about the outcomes. Thank you so much, Dan, for joining us today. No worries. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Awesome, guys. So big, make sure you check him out. Brojo Podcast, where can they find that? Uh, probably if you just Google Brojo Podcast, you'll, you know, it's on Spotify and YouTube. It's all the different things, whatever your favorite platform is. All the places and um and also so dan monroe at the inspirationallifestyle.com thanks dan awesome thank you you're listening to up your brave on rcr reality check radio